know, we finished our series on Acts and this is going to be an informal start to, to where I believe the spirit would take us next uh, in our learning about the kingdom. Psalm 77. I want to read the first six verses there and then pray and uh, begin to chew on this a little bit. So in Psalm 77, it says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. You have kept me from closing my eyes. I am troubled and cannot speak. I consider days of old, years long past. At night, I remember my music. I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders. Father, thank you for your word. Father, as I open it today, I thank you that you would incline our ear to what you would say. Open our eyes to the wonders of what you have given us in your word. I pray that you unite our heart as we sit in your presence. Lord, and you empower us uh, with uh, your hope and peace as we continue on in this life that you've given us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this psalm, Psalm 77, was written by a man named Asaph. You might have thought like I thought at one time, all the psalms were written by David. Not all of them, he wrote a lot of them. But this one, and then several others in this general vicinity, were written by a man named Asaph. And when he's writing this, he's inviting us into what he was experiencing. He's inviting us into this moment in his life that included pain, difficulty, uncertainty, right? When you read over that, you can kind of feel it. And I was reading this psalm on June 20. And I just remember that because it was a specific day, but I also remember it because I've been thinking about it every day since then. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to share this with you. Maybe I can get part of it off of me. But this line that he says here in verse two, the end of verse two, he says, I refused to be comforted. I refused to be comforted or yours may say my soul refused to be comforted. And that stuck out to me. And I've thought about it every day since then. And I'll tell you why soon. But you get this picture of what he's dealing with in verses one through three. He says, I, I, you picture a man trying to go to sleep and can't. says, I'm on my bed. I cry aloud to God. I sought him in my day of trouble. My hands continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes Weak and it carries on. You, you've kept me from closing my eyes. I, I can't fall asleep. I'm troubled and I can't speak. I, I consider the old things, days that have gone past. At night, I remember my music. He was a musician. And I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders. He's just staying awake, thinking about what he's got going on. Wrapped up in what's been happening ever and never show and never again show favor. 
Has His faithful love ceased forever? Is His promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger withheld His compassion? You know, when we get in a low, it seems like it's the end, doesn't it? It can feel like this is it. This is the worst time. This is the last time. God, are you even good anymore? Do you even keep your promises anymore? Are you even gracious anymore? Can I still believe it? Can I still trust in you? Verse 10, so I say I'm grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Now this verse 10, if you look at different translations, it's going to be translated a lot of different ways. And the reason for that is because what he writes here is so obscure. It's hard for them to even make sense of what it is that he wrote. And isn't it like that sometimes when we get into these moments in our life, because we've all been here just like Asaph, where we can't even communicate well what's going on. We can't even get across well. We can't even put it into words what it is that we're dealing with. We just know that it's heavy. And in this, he says my line. He says, I refuse to be comforted or my soul refused to be comforted. And it, our soul, the depth of who we are, as, as one said it, from birth to final resting place, the soul is our earliest companion and our ultimate concern. And he's saying, my soul is refusing to be comforted. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But first, let's talk about what it is that Asaph is refusing comfort from. Let's dig into this discomfort that he's feeling. Because up above, we read about how he's feeling. Let's talk about why he's feeling that away. Now, we can't be specific because he's not specific. You read some of the other psalms that he wrote and some people will try to read into, well, this is probably what he was dealing with here. But he doesn't tell us what he was dealing with. He just tells us what is going on. And it's clear that in this moment, life is too big. Life is too big. The problems, the problems for him, the problems for his countrymen, the problems for, in his mind, the whole world are too big. And that brings about pressure on us. When life gets too big, we feel the pressure. And I'll tell you that that pressure for us so often, almost every time, abounds out of insufficiency. That pressure that we feel when life gets too big, it abounds out of insufficiency. And I'll explain what I mean. The only thing that your soul has an unlimited supply of is need. Need and desire, that is the only thing that you have an unlimited amount of is need and desire. You and yourself, your soul, your, 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 your mind, your will, your emotions, your, your heart, that's the only thing you have an unlimited amount of is need. We're unlimited. We are limited in every other way except for our desires. You've heard me say it before. We have a desire for perfection. We don't have the ability to bring it about. We want everything to be good and right and perfect and in place. That's what we want. That's our desire. But we don't have in ourselves the ability to bring it out. And so because of that, because we have unlimited desires, and limited capabilities, that puts us on a collision course with insufficiency. 
That puts us on a collision course with coming up short. Coming up short in what? Every single thing in life will come up short because we'll never be able to reach that infinite amount of need that we have. And when we hit that insufficiency, we get uncomfortable. The pressure starts to set in. We get uncomfortable. We feel that discomfort. And it can even cause volatility in our life. If we were to turn over to the book of James, he said, where do fights and quarrels come from among you? It's because you want and you do not have. It's because you have desires and you don't have the ability. The only thing we have an unlimited amount of is our need. And so this insufficiency brings about discomfort. And here's what I can tell you, even whether I know you, whether I don't know you, I can tell you this, you don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like discomfort. We're American, I'm an American. I will not refuse to be uncomfortable. I refuse to be discomforted. Discomfort meaning the lack of comfort, right? That prefix dis before comfort, the lack of. We do not like to be uncomfortable, not just physically, but in our soul when we feel discomfort, we don't want to be that away. We don't want to want something and not have it, right? It's just how we are. It's how we function. And so I kept coming back to this phrase. We, we, we've read now here 10 verses of Asaph and his situation. And that one, I mean, it just, it stopped me. I was there for an hour. I refused to be comforted. My soul refused to be comforted. I wanted to know, why is he saying that? Why is he saying that? It doesn't really fit in with everything else that he's saying, right? It seemed contrary to me. He's crying out, God help me. I refuse to be comforted, right? Doesn't seem to make sense. He's basically calling out for comfort and then saying, my soul refuses to be comforted. I was like, is he being contrary? Is he getting into a pity party? Is he getting over, I'll never be happy again. I promise, I'll be watch. I'll never be happy again. Is that what he's saying? And so I had to look it up. I looked up the Hebrew word that he uses there and I'm not gonna pronounce it for you because I don't think I could. I try sometimes, I wouldn't do that. It has a, it has a real deep hawk in it and I don't know if we need to try that one. But I looked it up. I was like, I need to know. I have to understand this. It doesn't make sense to me. Why is this man saying, is he just losing it? Why is he saying I refuse to be comforted? So I looked it up. And when this one, especially when it's translated to comfort, it often means to comfort oneself or to console oneself. It can also mean to repent or to change the way that you think. So hold on to that for a second. But to comfort oneself, to console oneself. And I'll give you an example of somewhere else it's used. You think about it in the book of Genesis, if you're familiar with that one. And the story, remember we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Isaac was old, he was going to bless his oldest son, which was Esau, right? And Jacob, the younger son, came in and stole the blessing, tricked him and stole the blessing. And Esau was furious. And right before Jacob's mother sends him away into hiding so that Esau, you know, Esau is furious. She tells him, your brother Esau consoles himself by planning to kill you. Your brother is comforting himself 
by planning to kill you. So you see there the use of the same word to comfort oneself. So when Asaph is refusing to be comforted, what he is refusing is the temptation of his soul to turn from the Most High whom he is crying out to, to what he can grab up for himself. To what he has within his own reach, his soul's own reach. When he says, my soul refuses to be comforted, what he's saying is, I refuse to, remember it also means repent or to change the way that I think. I refuse to change the way that I think about you, to think that you're not good, to think that you're not kind, to think that you don't care. I refuse to think that and reach over and grab something myself to try to make me feel better. Because remember, he's laying on his bed, arms outstretched, crying aloud to God, can't sleep, can't rest because this just keeps turning over and over in his heart. And he says, I refuse to be comforted. I'm not going to be tempted by lesser comforts, even if it means I have to sit right here in the middle of this discomfort for a while longer. And now that may be too deep. I want to back up so we can dial it in a little bit more. And I really want you to see this again. I, I've been walking with it for a month and a half. So Lord help me to try to get it explained in 20 minutes, but he can do it. Amen. He can do it. Okay. Have you ever worked in a building that had a vending machine? If you had ever worked in a building that had a vending machine, have you ever been in a building for a long period of time that had a vending machine? Think hospital, right? So we hadn't worked in a building with a vending machine. We've been in a building that had a vending machine. And I'm not talking about newfangled stuff. I'm talking about a good old American vending machine with hot fries and Milky Ways and bags of chips, you know, a vending machine, right? You worked in a building where there was a vending machine and you got hungry. But it wasn't yet time to eat lunch. And it wasn't yet time to go home and eat supper. But there you were hungry. And the hunger pain that you were feeling gave you some discomfort. It made you uncomfortable. And we don't like to be uncomfortable, right? You work in a building where there's a vending machine. How easy is it for you to go to the vending machine? So easy. So easy, right? Two dollars, hot fries and a Milky Way. Here we go. I am about to feel better. How easy is it to go to the vending machine? Super easy. How good is it for you? Right? It doesn't actually help you even though it seems like it is helping you. Come on, I need y'all to feel that one. You go to the vending machine because you're hungry and it seems like it's helping, but it's really not, is it? It's not really doing anything with that true root of the discomfort that you're feeling because the hot fries and the Milky Way aren't going to aren't going to fill you. It's not going to give you what you need. And guess what? It's coming back in a little bit. It's coming back with a vengeance. It doesn't really help even when it seems like it is. It just numbs that discomfort for a minute. And we've all been like Asaph. We, we've been laying in that discomfort or walking around in discomfort, but he lays down in the bed uncomfortable, not physically, probably physically too, but deep in his soul, he is feeling discomfort. 
that insufficiency's hitting especially hard. And I'm talking about it can be deep things. It can be big things. It can be, I don't feel loved. I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel validated. I don't feel like I'm worth anything. It, it can be deeply rooted discomfort. I don't feel secure. I don't feel safe. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what it is that I'm going to do. And as a believer, we cry out to God. Amen. As a believer, we cry out to God. But see, God is not like the vending machine. He's not like the vending machine where you take your money, you put it in, you push his button and you tell him what he's going to give you. He doesn't work like that. He doesn't work like that. It doesn't work on our schedule. And so sometimes the result of that is we end up waiting on him. And while we're waiting, we're sitting in the discomfort. And in that space, we need to be thinking about what Asaph said when he said, my soul refuses to be comforted. Because if we don't think about that, we are going to be tempted to turn aside from him, the one we're crying out to, the one we're calling out to, the only one who can truly comfort us to something that is within our reach. The soul's equivalent of hot fries in a Milky Way when we're hungry. If you had never had hot fries, might as well just leave them alone. But if you've had them, you know. Do we turn aside to the soul's equivalent of hot fries because we're tired of sitting in the discomfort? Where does our mind go? Where does our mind go? I think Tim said this yesterday. Where does our mind go when we're uncomfortable? Where does our mind go when we're feeling that discomfort? We've cried out and the answer hasn't yet come. Where does our mind go? Ask yourself this. What do I habitually, regularly think about when I am needing joy and comfort? What do I regularly, not just every once in a while, not just, okay, I'm talking about what, where does my mind go habitually when I need joy and when I need comfort? Because again, we don't like discomfort. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable by definition. So what do we do at a soul level when we experience that? What do we do? Asaph, it's happening to him when he's laying down at night. And I don't know about you. I do know about you. I'll tell you about you. Laying down and rising up, we are especially vulnerable. And I don't know why. I haven't figured it out. But laying down at night and getting up in the morning, we feel especially fragile, don't we? And it may, part of it may just be, we are vulnerable. I mean, we're late. I told Kelly that the other night. It's like, sleep is so stupid. We just lay down and, and we're just unconscious for eight hours. I'm just, just laying here in this bed, hopefully eight hours. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. We, we are physically, literally vulnerable, but we're also tired at the end of the day. And we're thinking through all the things that didn't get done, couldn't get done. Going back to that insufficiency, right? Or we're waking up the next day. And again, you just start out feeling fragile. I, I had to get used to that. I had to get used to, used to that and push through it. Even more, this morning, it happens on every 
morning I'll wake up and I'll start to think about everything that's ahead, everything that I've got to do, everything that's going to pull on me that day or that week. And when you first wake up, that's an awful lot, isn't it? I'm talking about that is an awful lot. And you can real quick start to, okay, okay, okay. And so I've learned to push on through that and go, I'm not going to feel like this in a few more minutes. I've got to get past this time of discomfort. The longer I'm, I'm going to go get in the shower and then I'm a little bit more awake. I'm a little bit more ready. Then I'm then I'm ready to go to work. And then I'm a little bit more up there. I'm a little bit more ready. And one thing that I stopped doing was depending on the coffee pot. Right. I used to say I'm feeling, ooh, ooh, I got to go get that coffee right now. <laughs> I need that bump right now. I said, I'm going to put that off. I didn't stop drinking. I stopped drinking it until about 830. <laughs> Put it on that because God, no, I, I, I want to push through this on me. But we feel that discomfort. And when we do, what do we do with it? Where does our mind go? Where do our thoughts go? Where does my soul turn if it's turning away from him? Because listen, normal living is difficult and difficult. It's like code red for us when it comes to that insufficiency. And so where does our soul turn? Do I wait on him? through the discomfort, in spite of the discomfort, or do I reach for the vending machine? Do I reach for the hot fries in the Milky Way? And this morning, I don't have time to talk about anything other than just where our thoughts would go. We could get into actions and it would take weeks, but we're just gonna talk about some spaces where our thoughts can go that are aside from Him in that discomfort, the things that we reach for. The first thing that comes to mind is anger. And again, I'm not talking about actions. I'm just talking about anger welling up in my heart because of the discomfort that I feel. We have to try to grab. These are going to show up in your thoughts. We have to try to catch them and refuse them before they set up and take too much of our time. So anger, you find yourself again, you wake up in the morning feeling fragile. You're getting ready. I don't know who was scheduling. Who schedules a meeting at 830? Why in the world? I hate this. Why am I going to this meeting at 830? I can't believe that they, they, they made it to where I have to do this today. Why would they? Because what am I doing? I'm angry because I'm feeling that insufficiency and I'm looking for somebody to be mad at. I'm looking for somebody to blame it on. It's your fault I'm uncomfortable. It's your fault I'm feeling discomfort. I can't believe that you did this. We may start having those one-sided conversations in our head. You know, those one-sided conversations that we always win. And we get to yell at the person that we're mad at. And we do it all up here. All in the safety and in the privacy of our own mind. That's one of the places that our soul can turn uh, for rest to try to rest there when we're uncomfortable because when I let myself well up with anger and I let myself yell at somebody in my mind, I feel like I have power that I don't actually have. I feel like I have power that I don't actually have. I'm going to go, I'm going to tell the boss, I'm going to tell him, I don't care, you can hang it on the hook, I'll quit, I'll tell you exactly how I feel. And we'll think about that while we're driving to work. Right? Just me? <laughs> it's not just me. Right? You felt this. And what are we doing? We're, we're reaching. Our soul is reaching for comfort when we're uncomfortable, but it's going to the vending machine instead of waiting until it's time to eat. Instead of waiting on him. And so that anger gives me the appearance of power when in fact I don't have any. When I don't have it. And it doesn't help. Just like going to the vending machine. It doesn't help even though it seems like it's helping in the moment. 
In fact, it makes things worse. And so we can't let our soul turn to these lesser things, these false promises for comfort when we're feeling that way. We have to refuse it. And that's what I've been watching in my own thought life, in my own life, as these things would creep up. And again, we, we don't monitor our thoughts like we should. We, we consider our actions. Well, I'm not doing this. I ain't punched anybody in a while. But am I, am I letting myself turn to anger for comfort up here? Am I letting myself blow up up here so I can feel like I've got some power and some capability that I don't actually have? And Asaph said it, and I've been trying to repeat it. Mm -mm, my soul refuses to be comforted. I'm going to sit in this discomfort, and I'm going to ask him to help me with it. So that's one. Another one is lust. Lust. Lust or to take something. Lust is a Bible word. To, to take something that doesn't belong to you. To take something that's not yours and try to use it for your own benefit. Right? And that can be after anything. Obviously, we focus on, you know, sexuality and, and things like that when it comes to lust. But it can, it can be anything that I'm going to take that. I should have that. Lust gives us, anger gives us the illusion of power. Lust gives us the illusion of control. That I can have what I want. I can do what I want. If I want that, I can have it. That, that can be mine. You can, you, you can turn to think about people in a way that you shouldn't be thinking about people. You can turn to thinking about, well, you know, me and my, me and my ex, we never had that problem. They never would have talked to me disrespectful like that. that. That never would have happened if I was still with them. You know what, I probably could. I looked them up on Facebook not too long ago. I could probably reach out. You know, I probably could do that if I wanted to. They'd probably, they'd probably answer my chat. I bet they would. What's that doing? It's trying to give me the feeling of control. You're in control. You're in control. Everything answers to you. That's what your soul wants to act like, but it's not true. It's not true. It's just the soul's version of hot fries and a Milky Way trying to quench a hunger pain. And it seems like it's helping in the moment. It gives you a little satiation in the moment, but then on the backside of that, you're worse off than you were before. And again, we're not even talking about actions. I don't even have time to get into actions. You may have comforted yourself before, but like, I never did that. I never went over here and did that. But how often have you allowed your thought life to turn into a fantasy life and you've just kept it all up here and maybe you've only been faithful because that's, you, you didn't have an opportunity not to be. But Jesus said, what? If you thought about it up here, it's the same, right? Our so we, we have to. We have to refuse it because we'll turn to it so easily. It's so easy to go to the vending machine. It's so easy to let our soul turn aside to lesser things that we can control instead of keeping our eyes pointing at the only one who can control everything. So maybe it's anger, maybe it's lust, maybe it's just straight cash, homie. Randy Moss. It's materialism. Maybe that's what we turn to for comfort. When we're not feeling like we're secure, maybe it's, well, I do have that money in my savings account, or I am going to get that bonus coming up, or I, I, I do have that grandfather who's not doing very well, and when he dies, I'll be able to get that money and be able to take care of what I want to. Right? 
telling ourselves, yeah, in just a little bit, I'm going to be able to, I'm really going to be in control. Then I'm going to be secure. I'm going to have what I need. I'm going to get past this and I'm going to be able to do it. And we're looking to that to give us security when it can. And again, not planning. I'm not talking about planning. I'm talking about playing. I'm talking about playing and treating money like it's something more than money. I'm treating stuff like it's something more than stuff because we'll comfort ourselves even if it's just, hey, I'm going to get to buy that boat. Next summer, I'm going to get to buy that boat. And you're looking forward to that, not just in like a hopeful, hey, that's going to be great. I'm going to love to have that boat. That's going to be special. But that that's the point when everything's going to be right. So when I'm discomforted in whatever else is going on, I comfort myself with what I'm going to have later. That materialism, that I can spend my way out of this discomfort. That if I pile up enough, I'm going to get out of this discomfort. And all I'm doing is asking that money, that savings, that, that amount, that product to give me something that it can't give me. Right? If you don't believe that, just go to a yard sale. Next time that weekend happens, and there happen, probably some this next weekend, first weekend of the month, they're going to be having some yard sales. Drive around and everything at those yard sales, people thought they needed at some point. People thought, well, this is going to fix a problem at some point. This is something that I need right now. And now it's trash, except they want you to pay for it. Anyway. You can't allow money to be more than money and stuff to be more than stuff. And that gets over into covetousness, which is in the Ten Commandments. And we don't really focus on it a lot. Uh, and, and this isn't in my notes. But we don't focus on it. It just seems like, yeah, I mean, that's not really anything. But when you covet something you don't have, and I'm talking about covet it, saying... You have that. I should have that. What you're really saying is God's not good. He hasn't been good to you. If he was, he would have given you that. If he's really interested in what's good for you, he would have given you that, that which you are coveting after it's an accusation against God Almighty himself. And yet that's one of the places that our soul will turn to. It's one of the things within our reach. And we'll reach over and grab it unless we're trying to, unless we're conscious of what's going on. And we say, like Asaph said, my soul refuses to comfort itself. I refuse for my soul to comfort itself. And on, on and on and on we could go. All the vending machines that our soul will turn to when we feel that discomfort. We will have that opportunity. Don't get me started on this. It can even be as simple as this, right? Sitting in the chair, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff on my mind. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see what's going on here. Let me get over into this. Let me, right? What am I telling it? Show me something good. I need you to show me something good. Show me something glorious. I'd like to see something. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, look. Oh, they did. Yeah, right? I'm turning to it for comfort so that I don't have to sit in the discomfort that I'm feeling myself. I mean, you can't get on your phone. It's saying, why are you getting on your phone? Have you ever known, you ever, they, they talk about this. I forget the exact length of time, so I won't quote it, but you go into a waiting room and there's strangers in there. Say so you all get there at the same time. There's a certain amount of just surface level conversation that you can have. And I think it's somewhere between three and five minutes. I said I wasn't going to quote it, but it did. It's about three to five minutes where after you get past that point, You've talked about, you know, the weather. You've talked about, you may maybe mentioned why you're there. And then you get to a level where we're about to have to get personal in what we're discussing. And everybody gets quiet. And then the first phone comes out. 
And then when that first person takes their phone out, the other people in the room go, we getting our phones out now. We can get our phones out. We're all going to be, and next thing you know, you got people sitting in the room, you're all over. Why? Because they were uncomfortable. I was bored. Same thing. I was uncomfortable. So I reached to something else. Comfort me. Comfort me. Show me something glorious. Give me the illusion of control. I'm holding the whole world in my hands. If I wonder what this person's doing, I can look and see what they're doing. I can find, I feel like I'm in control when really I'm just a little bit better informed than I otherwise would have been. Asaph said, my soul refuses to be comforted. Now, Asaph didn't get to refuse the discomfort. Did you notice that? He didn't get to refuse the discomfort. He didn't, just, he didn't get to say, I'm not going to be uncomfortable today. He didn't get to refuse the discomfort. The discomfort was there. It was coming. It's coming for us. It'll come for us all the time. The discomfort is coming. We don't get to refuse it. What we get to refuse is that we refuse to let our soul turn to lesser things for comfort. We refuse to let our soul, allow our soul to turn to lesser things for comfort. Where does your mind go, habitually go, when you're looking for joy and you're looking for comfort? Where's your mind going? We need to look into that. Reading this up to verse 10, it was a lot about him, right? He told us exactly what was going on. We can picture it. He laid on his bed, hands outstretched, crying out to God, can't sleep, groaning, crying, upset, doesn't know what to do, but refusing to turn aside to lesser things. He's even pointing out, God, I'm not even sure. I, I, as bad as this has gotten, I don't even know if you're still good. I don't even know if you're still God. I don't even know if you have the power to do anything. I, I don't know. Have you changed? Are you like you used to be? Are we still good? Do you still keep your promises? And he refuses to be comforted by lesser things, but that's not the finish. That's not the finish. So what was his resolution? Look at verse 11. He says, I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. Verse 12, I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. So he transfers his attention from his discomfort, from the lesser things that would deceive him, like anger, lust, all the things, some of the things we went through. He turns his attention from those things that would deceive him or tempt him to turn to them. He turns his attention to Almighty God and he does it in a very specific way. He doesn't just pivot. He said, I'm going to pivot and I want to start by thinking on and talking about what you have already done, what you have already accomplished, what I do know about you, what I've seen you do. And he turns his attention to God in that way. Verse 13, God, your way is holy. What God is great like God? You're the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. I love that line. What, what, who is like our God? Who is like him? Because when we get in the discomfort, we start to think, who is like me? Woe is me. I'm the, I'm, I'm the only one going through this. Or we get over into anger and let's go, who else is like me? Who can stand like I can stand? Who can do what I can do? 
And we try to comfort ourselves with that, and it's going to fall hard. But he says, who is like our God? And he starts to talk about what he did when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. Who is like him? Great power, great strength. Look at verse 16. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and it trembled. Even the depths shook. Now listen, what you got to know before we read the rest of this, and we're almost done. I told you a month and a half, we got to condense down pretty good. But you got to know when they thought about water, they thought about chaos. Certain death. But they fished on it. Yes, they did. And they were scared of it because it represented chaos and potential harm to them. There wasn't a lot of recreation going on. They didn't have, and even if, you know, obviously they didn't have the motor, but they didn't have, you know, tubes, knee bores, stuff like we do. We go out and play on it. They saw it as chaos. This is chaos that cannot be tamed, this water. And so when he says that, the water saw you, God, and it trembled. The water saw you and even the depths shook. What is he saying? Your God over the chaos. It has to answer to you. The things that I'm most afraid of, they know your name and they listen when you speak. They, 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 they see you and they tremble. Verse 17, the clouds pour down water, the storm clouds thunder, your arrows flash back and forth. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Lightning lit up the world. The earth shook and quaked. Your way went through the sea and your path through the vast water, but your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He goes over and over about God's power, his might, his dominion, and his sufficiency. Again, our problem is our unlimited need. That's the only thing we have an unlimited amount of is need. Everything else we are limited and finite in. And so we run into insufficiency. We collision course with insufficiency. And that brings about discomfort. Brings about discomfort. And so his answer to our problem is he turns in his insufficiency to the all-sufficient God. He turns in his lack of power, instead of to anger, he turns to the all-powerful God. Instead of turning in lust to try to feel like he's in control of something, he turns to the God that is in control of everything. And instead of looking to what he can amass in security and safety for himself, he says, God, you walked us through the most chaos that anybody has ever seen in their whole life. You split the Red Sea open and your, your, your path led through the chaos. That's not, I need to make a note about that one. His path led through the chaos, but he was right there with them, leading them right through it. You imagine they were a little uncomfortable when it came to standing up against that water, even when they saw it split open. You imagine they weren't thinking a little bit by the time they got about to the point of no return there, like this may not have been a good idea. But he was faithful. That's what, I, that's what Asaph writes here. And the interesting thing is then Psalm 77, it stops. It's over. It never comes back to him, to Asaph. It never comes back to his troubles. 
after he moves his attention from himself and his discomfort to God Almighty, who he is, what he does, and how he does it. it the attention never comes back. I believe he fell asleep. He couldn't rest. He said, my eyes won't close. For crying, for groaning, I'm, I'm about faint. And all I've thought about is what's wrong. But then he turned his attention. He refused to be comforted by lesser things. And he turned his attention to God. And then we don't hear anything else in that psalm. That was the conclusion. And again, I believe that was the point where he found his rest and he found his sleep. Peace and comfort remained in his heart. Even though there was a tumult all around, even though there was a storm all around, he had peace and comfort because he, he wouldn't stop looking to the true comforter. Amen? So, as we're finishing up, again, I would, my encouragement to you, learn that phrase. My soul refuses to be comforted. And watch your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. Watch what they would turn to when you need comfort. Watch what they would turn to when you need joy. And when you see them reaching for the lesser things, my soul refuses to be comforted. Lord, I don't know exactly maybe even why I'm feeling this way right now, but I want to give it to you. I want you to teach me the better way. I'll wait on you right here in the middle. And again, we might have to sit in it for a minute. We might have to sit in that discomfort for a minute. It may be today you don't know how it's going to work and you may have to sit in that and trust in him. But here's what I can tell you. It's so much better than turning aside to the lesser things because they seem like they're helping, but they're not helping. They seem like they're, 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 there's progress there. There's not progress there. Not when you turn aside to anything but him. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, almighty and eternal, be big in our eyes. Be big in our eyes, Lord, and help us to be wise. Lord, this is a message for believers. If we're outside of you, we don't even have any hope other than to turn to those lesser insufficient things. Lord, you gave us the all-sufficient one in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I thank you that in his name, there's repentance and remission of sins. And you forgive us. And then you start to teach us how this life really works. And I thank you for what we learned today from Asaph. That when we're feeling that discomfort and we're feeling that pain, we need to remind our soul not to reach to the lesser comforts. God, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom when we wake up feeling fragile. Give us wisdom when we lie down feeling vulnerable to not turn to the left and not turn to the right, but to know that you've given us a comforter. And while we're not in control of you, we will wait on you. We will wait on you because we know that you're good. We will wait on you because we know that you're faithful. We will wait on you because we know that you are best. Father, as we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity with each other. I thank you, Lord, that you carry us through this week. 
that your kingdom come and your will be done. That when life is big and the pressure comes on, that you are our comfort, you are our peace. Stay big in our eyes as we stay close to your heart. Protect your people. Lord, those that are out from us today in weakness in their body, heal them, strengthen them, and uphold them in that discomfort until they're well. Father, those that are traveling, keep them safe. God, bless their time as they get to go. Those that are working, that they do so to your glory. That others will see what they do in your name and glorify their Father in heaven. And Lord, everything that we have in our heart to do for you, I thank you that you help us. You help us as we put boots to the ground on it. You help us as we put action to our desires to see you made known in this community. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.